Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 25th and final parak of Melachim Bet, the final parak of Nevi'im Rishonim. Before jumping into the parak itself, I, I want to take a moment to thank all of you uh, for joining me on this journey. Uh, the podcast has been running for a while now, and it's really gone through a number of iterations. At one point, we were the Nach Daily, then it became Tanach Daily. Uh, at one point, it was uh, you know a complement to a daily limud, which meant that we didn't have podcasts for the chapters that we covered over the weekend. Uh, it then morphed into a freestanding podcast, which didn't skip any prakim. It was, at one point, a truly daily podcast. Uh, and then COVID appended it, and it started coming out in, in drips and drops. Throughout all of the changes, I have been so gratified to find that you... Uh, the listeners uh, have stayed engaged. I'm really I'm humbled that this podcast has been played well over 40,000 times all around the world. I thank you for um, bringing me into your commute and into your living rooms and into your uh, gym exercise. Uh, your eagerness to learn has pushed me to keep going and uh, to keep growing through this process. And I'm, I'm really proud of, of what we've kind of accomplished together. So thank you. I also want to thank Rabbis Michael Hatton, Rabbi Amnon Bazak, Rabbi Alex Israel, who have written extensively on Nevi and Rishonim and whose work I've relied on uh, as uh, an invaluable resource. Uh, much of that has been published by Magid. Um, and also I want to acknowledge uh, the Dot Mikra series published by Mossad Harav Cook, which has also been an indispensable uh, source of uh, material for me uh, and just an amazing work in general. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Now on to the conclusion of Melachim Bet. King Sidgiyahu is now in his 11th year of, of reign and he attempts to overthrow the Babylonian rule to this disastrous effect, right? Our, our parak opens with Yerushalayim under siege by Nebuchadnezzar and his army, and the people inside are starving. Um, Sefer Malachim doesn't really give us more than a cursory mention of this fact, but we know that, you know, from Megillus Echa's graphic description, that this was so punishing, such a desperate, desperate situation within the walls of this city. And then on the 10th of Teves, Batiba Kaha'ir, the city walls are breached. It's a day, it's a moment that is memorialized uh, until this day as a, as a fast day on the Jewish calendar, Asara Bateves. Um, and in response to this breach, we are told, it's not a terribly glorious thing, the, the, the warriors, the Jewish people, uh, flee the city together with King Tzidkiyahu. They, they do so under the cover of night, and they are ultimately caught in the plains of Yericho. Um, the soldiers disperse, they, they flee. Tzidkiyahu is brought before Nebuchadnezzar. He is judged, the, t- the text tells us, and he is forced to watch uh, his children executed. He's blinded and then carted off to Bavel. Very, very tragic end. Now, let's just pause to reflect on two things here. Firstly, uh, let's note the importance of the geographic markers. We have a king of Israel fleeing Yerushalayim to, to Yericho. So that, in my mind, is a rather loaded symbol, right? It marks, uh, a geograph- in geographic terms, the undoing of Jewish history, retracing the footsteps of, of the march of Jewish history backwards. We came into the land and we began the conquest all the way back in the beginning, save for Yehoshua, with the conquest of Yericho. Uh, the conquest then led through you know, a whole series of twists and turns, eventually culminating in the building of the Beis HaMikdash and the establishment of Yerushalayim as the capital. And, uh, and now, 
the king has fled Yerushalayim only to be caught by his adversary in Yericho, right? It's this kind of tragic uh, but poetic turn of events, marking in geographic terms the undoing of that which has been accomplished uh, in, in, in all of these centuries. But it's also worth noting, as a second point here, that, that King Tzidkiyahu's name reflects the righteousness of God, right? It, it, that's the, the meaning of his name is, is that, that God is righteous. And we're told uh, that he is here, as I, as I mentioned, he's judged by, by Nebuchadnezzar, which is a, an interesting thing for the text to include. Uh, and he's, he's judged before he's ultimately punished and exiled. And, and both of these facts, his name and the judgment before Nebuchadnezzar, I think underscore a central theme of the Sefer generally and a focus particularly in these concluding Prakim, and that is that the suffering, the exile that the Jewish people experience is fundamentally just. God is just, and this is all deserved. Tzidkiyahu is judged by God, right? And Tzidkiyahu is judged by Nebuchadnezzar. And in a sense, those things um, uh, are, are parallel because the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar is really just the manifestation of the judgment of God. Then, Continuing in the Sefer, on the seventh of Av, Nebuchadnezzar's chief executioner, Nebuzaradan, uh, begins to completely destroy Yerushalayim and the Mesa Mikdash. The, the Sefer lists extensively, with really meticulous detail, all of the holy vessels that he took from the Mikdash and that he destroyed, uh, the people who were exiled and those who were murdered. And it's this tragic inventory. Um, but it, 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 I think, again, it has the same effect of running from Yushalayim to Yericho. It's, it's, we're kind of watching the Beis HaMikdash be disassembled before our eyes and the Jewish people disassembled, and it's the undoing of the progress that has been made and accomplished throughout this Sefer. And I think that it's meant to be read uh, very much through that lens. The Sefer, though, is not yet complete. With the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, there is yet uh, kind of two more uh, brief uh, aspects and elements to the, the, the Sefer before its conclusion. The first is a sour note and then a, a faintly sweet note uh, to conclude on. The first, the sour note, uh, after the calamity, after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash and the mass exiles of virtually all who were remaining after the first initial wave of exiles, so there, there still remained a small group of downtrodden poor Jews remaining in the land, and Bavel was not keen on appointing a new king. Um, obviously, they've tried that. That doesn't go well. It's only a matter of time till there's a rebellion. But what they do is they appoint a governor to oversee the land of Israel. And they, they appoint an individual named Gedalia. And Gedalia, you know, you could think of him, he represents really two, two different things, depending on your perspective. For some, and I'll speak of the, his, his contemporaries, for some, he was the last vestige of Jewish rule and, and a chance at some kind of workable return to Jewish life Right, in the land of Israel, albeit under the Babylonian thumb. There wasn't um, autonomy, but at least there was a Jewish governor. For others, Gedalia was a traitor. He was a puppet. He was a mouthpiece and a complete capitulation to this evil empire of Babylonians who did the, the, the unforgivable and, and unspeakable. And, uh, and, and so he was, uh, he, he was completely uh, you know, a, a symbol of, of Jewish... Uh, um, of, of, of Jewish failure, a, a symbol of Jewish suffering. And it was individuals from that latter camp, from that latter perspective, who assassinate Gedalia. 
And, and that leads to this kind of final bit of unrest. There's a response from the Kastim, right? the, the, um, the, the Chaldeans, presumably representing the, the Bavel, uh, who, uh, to whom they were vassals, um, who, who come in and they basically um, they, they wipe out anybody else who was remaining and, and, and cause everybody else to, to flee uh, from the land of Israel. We're told that they actually flee to, to Egypt, right? And that's really the death knell. That's the final blow, the final kind of glimmer of hope, uh, and, and, you know, embers um, that, were, uh, that were still, uh, you know, glimmering, they're, they're, they're snuffed out now, right? That's, that's it. Um, and and we, we mark that assassination uh, with uh, an, another annual fast, of the, the fast of Tzom Gedalia. So obviously, while, uh, you know, the camp who assassinated uh, Gedalia felt that he was uh, a traitor or, or a symbol of, of, of Jewish suffering, and and were you know couldn't uh, abide his continued uh, role as the kind of mouthpiece for the Babylonians. Our view is that this was you know a, a wholly self-inflicted final insult, adding insult to injury or final injury heaped upon injury. Right, that this kind of uh, you know la- you know last and final mistake of the Jewish people to have undone itself in this way. So we view this assassination uh, in, in a very negative light. And again, we, we mark that with some Gedalia each and every year. I think it's worth pausing here again to note that where do the people flee? We're told that they flee to Egypt, right? The last vestige of Jews in the land flee to Egypt of all places, right? Talk about the undoing of progress for B'nai Yisrael, right? It's so loaded with significance. We came from Egypt, we emerged as a people from Egypt, and now at the close of Sefer Malachim, the last few Jews in the land flee and go back to Egypt. And the Sefer um, might have ended there, and that would end on a very, very bitter note, but it does give us some comfort, perhaps cold comfort, but it's a glimmer of, of positivity at the end of the Sefer. It's, it's hinted there, I'll, I'll say. We're told that Yehoyachin, you'll remember there was a king Yehoyachin, some kings back. Um, so he is still alive and he's languishing in, in a Babylonian jail for 37 years. So we're, we're jumping ahead a bit in history. We're told that Vayaka Melech Chadash, doesn't actually say that, but I think you get my drift, right? There, a new king arises who decides, for whatever reason, we don't know, to be benevolent to Yehoiachin, removes him from jail. Not only does he remove him from jail, but he treats him with great dignity, even honor, for the rest of his days. And we, we end on that note, and, and we're meant to understand that there is this little glimmer of hope once more, that the seed of the Davidic dynasty is alive. Uh, they've survived this calamity. And... Um, and the stage is set, though the Sefer doesn't express this, but for those who will be reading this, knowing how history uh, develops, the, the stage is set for Yehoiachin's grandson, Zerubbabel, to lead B'nai Israel back from the exile to uh, the land of Israel. So it leaves us, it doesn't spell that out, it doesn't leave us on a, a sanguine, happy, positive note, but it, it gives us kind of like, if you know, you know, right? So, okay, so there is still this, this uh, remaining... Uh, small possibility of hope. There is still, um, you know, a future uh, for the Jewish people, uh, and uh, and we'll have to um, explore that um, <laughs> some other time. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, that will do. Chazak um, ve'matz and happy learning. Thank you for joining me on this journey.